Some of you will remember that not long ago I told you uh, about one of my neighbors whom I called Skyler. You'd have to have a very good memory to remember that, actually. <laughs> Skyler is a very impressive uh, man, a little younger than I. I. Frankly, I'm quite intimidated by him. He's super smart. He's athletic. He's popular. Done very well uh, in business. And uh, it just feels like he's got everything dialed in, you know. He's just a good guy. And I was in my kitchen with Skyler and a bunch of guys, and we were talking together, and I tell him about some problem. I was probably whining about something, and Skyler looks at me, and he goes, George, if you save my soul, I'll fix that problem for you. <laughs> it kind of brought me up short. Do you ever wish you could go back and have a conversation again? Because <laughs> my response wasn't so smart. I, I just kind of laughed it off. I figured he was joking, but I, but I, I kept thinking, what does he mean by that? What does it mean to Skyler that he's got a soul? What does it mean to Skyler that there's some part of him that needs to be saved? And what does it mean that he has a person in his life that he's turning to and asking for help? A neighbor. Well, uh, Jesus once said something that's probably, in my mind, the clearest expression of why we're all here. And I want to share it with you this morning. I mean, whether you believe in Jesus or, or not, in fact, let me, let me just say, by the way, that if, if, if you're here and you don't yet believe in Jesus, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, you honor us uh, with your presence. And we know that life throws lots of reasons at us for, for us not to believe in Jesus. We understand that. But if you draw near to Jesus and come to know him, you will hear this same invitation. It's really, whether we believe or not, why we're all here uh, together. And we find it in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. So if you brought a Bible, uh, or if there's a black book in the rack in front of you, let's, let's open this up. Can we read this aloud together? Turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, which is on page 825 of the Pew Bible. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's Word together. The teaching of our Savior Jesus Christ, starting in verse 28. Let's read. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. These words kind of give you the impression 
that we're to be the people who bring people together and help them find God. Just get that sense that this is what Jesus is talking about. This is kind of an Old Testament way of saying it, that we're to be the people who bring people together and help them find God. It's interesting how the scribe digests what Jesus says to him and then repeats it back. If you read carefully, you'll notice that he, he, he changes it a little bit. The scribe says it a little differently than Jesus says it. And, 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 and in that difference, we will understand how these two great commandments were understood in Jesus' day. Remember, the scribe is an expert in the Old Testament. The two commandments, love God and love neighbor. When the scribe repeats back to Jesus what he said, he adds a phrase, besides him there is no other. Love God, besides him there is no other. It's another way of saying there's nothing more important than finding God. He, he, he's, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called by Jews today the Shema. Shema means listen. In Jesus' day, the Shema was said by every observant Jew every day, twice a day. They would say, listen, Shema, listen, the Lord is our God, and there's nothing greater than him. And this is their way of helping each other find God. He says, love God, but the other commandment is love neighbor. And when the scribe reflects back, again, he enhances, he adds a little bit. The scribe says, this is much more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This was a Jewish way of saying, we really ought to be bringing people together. This business of burnt offerings and sacrifices was something that the prophets would have said at the temple as they called God's people to justice. And the temple itself was a place of reconciliation for Israel. God had placed in the midst of his people an institution uh, for reconciliation so that God's people could be reconciled to God and also so that God's people could be reconciled to one another and to their neighbors. Now, when we say reconcile, uh, what we mean is to overcome what disconnects us. That's what reconcile means, to overcome what disconnects us. Love God. Love neighbor. Did you know I, that Jesus is the first person in human history ever to link those two things together? Never been done uh, before, not inside Israel or outside. And, and when the scribe hears Jesus link these two commandments together, he recognizes how revolutionary this is. He's startled by it, and his reaction is strong. He says, literally, he says, well said. It's, it's stunning. One modern scholar, I guess a modern scribe we could call him, says this is a revolutionary achievement, putting these two commandments together. Jesus has a revolutionary achievement uh, in, this, in this moment. We're to be the people who bring people together and help them find God. Now, there's a New Testament way of saying the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, St. Paul, the apostle, writes this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And, you know, the sense of that is, is that you know, this is the plan, that this is why we're here that we're supposed to be the people who bring people together and help them find God. This is what the apostle is saying. Love God and love neighbor. 
the people who love God are now going to be loving their neighbors. Jesus puts the scribe in between God's mission to reconcile all people and his neighbor. Jesus puts us between God's mission to reconcile all people and our neighbor. And there we are. This seems to be the purpose of our lives. Now, wouldn't it be great if that were our reputation today? If the world looked at the followers of Jesus and said, you know, I'm not sure I understand what they, what they think. I'm not sure I agree with what they believe. But these people, I'll tell you what, they bring people together and they help them find God. Wouldn't that be great if that were, I don't know if you've noticed, that the world's rather divided right now. We're divided politically. We're divided economically. We're divided racially. Our families are divided. Our churches are divided. In fact, just this last week, a painful conversation emerged in our youth ministry. No one planned it. No one wanted it. We're all getting ready for this wonderful day, and boom, there it is. Boom, suddenly we find ourselves struggling to find a way to be true to our core theological convictions and also create space in our church for those of us who are LGBTQ+. How do we come together? when we disagree with one another. Well, here's where Jesus starts to speak as only Jesus can speak to us. On both sides of the question, on both sides of any question. You see, because if our disagreements become divisions, Jesus will ask us, have you made something more important than God? See? Sometimes Jesus' questions are so uncomfortable. If we can't love people who think differently than us, Jesus will ask us, does your tribe matter more than your neighbors? And this is what's happened all around the scribe in his day. They've broken into factions and tribes. Their beliefs about God have become their God. And so we have scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and Essenes, and you know the history of fragmentation and struggle. And Jesus says, this is not what life is all about. I'm looking for people who bring people together and help them find God. All the while, there's a miracle of reconciliation standing right there in front of them. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Word made flesh. Jesus, God moving into the neighborhood. Jesus is standing right there. And he's not saying to them, give up your theology. He's saying, no, let your theology drive you to a deeper place, a place of reconciliation that's only available in me. When the scribe gets it, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And everybody is stunned. And no one, the text says, no one dared to ask him any question. My translation of that would be, no one dared to challenge him. The word is challenge him anymore. This is the culmination of seven challenges where people come up. And and this witness of Jesus silences the crowd, stuns them. Now they've all been brought near to the kingdom. I mean, what if this were God's strategy to change the world? That the people who love God would be the people who love their neighbors. That, that That they would overcome what disconnects us. That they would bring people together and help them find God. I see myself standing in a kitchen with a neighbor 
I call Skyler. And I look at Skyler, and I think, we're different in so many ways. I mean, I don't have his charm. I don't have his friends, his social network, super popular. I don't have his wet bar. I, I definitely know I don't have his bank account, for sure, looking at the cars that he and his family drive. I probably don't vote the way he does. I don't spend my Sundays the way he spends his Sundays. What could I do that could overcome the many different ways that Skyler and I are disconnected? And today I hear Jesus saying, it's really simple, George, love him. Love him. A mayor in Colorado told a group of pastors, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just become a community of people who are great neighbors. This stunned the pastor. They, like, I think we've heard this somewhere before. <laughs> Can I read that again? The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just become a community of people who are great neighbors. People who are great neighbors. That's why we're here today, to learn how to become great neighbors. It would change the world. This is Jesus' strategy. It's not love in the abstract or sentimental sense as though love were merely a feeling. No, he's talking about real, concrete, sacrificial love. He's talking about doing love. It's not just love anyone or everyone. Dude, I love everyone, which ultimately oftentimes means I love no one, or at least no one but myself. <laughs> love neighbors, that flesh and blood person who's next door, that person who's right in front of you. The neighbor's a person you'd have to avoid to miss. Jesus says, don't do that. Love them. What if this were Jesus' strategy to change the world? Then our, uh, one neighborhood at a time. This truly would be a revolutionary achievement. And friends, we're here today to say to one another, we can do this. We can do this. We've got Jesus. We've got a neighbor. And God's love is present in us through the Holy Spirit. So today we're here as a church to take up the strategy of Jesus as our strategy at University Presbyterian Church. We say to one another that the center of gravity is going to be moving from our worship services on this campus out into the many neighborhoods of Seattle, literal and metaphorical neighborhoods. Wherever people connect with one another because they live, work, study, or play together, we're saying that's a neighborhood and we're coming for you with the love of Jesus. You say, well, are we not going to do Sundays this way anymore? I kind of like these services. I mean, the choir is awesome. <laughs> we're, not going to, we're not going to stop doing Sundays. In fact, Sundays are even going to become more important to this because Sunday, this is the moment when we come together to celebrate Jesus and when we equip one another to go back out on the adventure with Jesus. I think of Sunday as like a base camp. You know what I'm saying? Base camp is essential to the adventure, to the expedition. What you do, you come to base camp, you connect with people, rebuild the team, tank up supplies, and, and you, you, you check your maps, and then you go out again. We're going to do that, and we're going to need to do that every single Sunday here. Does this say it mean that I'm just sent out alone, me and my neighbor? No! We need each other more than we have ever need one another. We're all in different places in our life. We're different places on the journey with Jesus. We're going to need to pursue one another, to invite one another in, to care for one another. That's why we're forming these communities. We're joining Jesus in what we call formational communities. 
And this is our definition of formational community. You can't see that, but I can. It's awesome for me. It's in the vision book. Formational community is a way of life and occurs when circles of friends live like family on mission for their neighbors, being formed as disciples in the process. This is just what it means to be a healthy follower of Jesus. This is just our way of of talking about that. Today is about taking the next step to go next door, to love our God and to love our neighbors and to do it together in circles of friends. For some of us, this is a, a, will be a very first step or a baby step, and that's, and that's fine. For others of us, us, we're further out the door already. But I want you to be wherever you are today. Just be where you are. That's fine. Jesus has a plan for you inside of this mission. Some of us are here today just to learn. I'm going to invite you to stay in the sanctuary with me for our learn breakout. Some of us are eager to join, and we have 10 uh, formational communities that are ready now to allow people to join. By the way, it's just a starting list. You're going to look at that list, many of you, and say, I don't see one for me. That's okay. More are coming. Six months from now, 12 months from now, there are going to be a lot more with with your help. Uh, So don't worry if you don't see one that you can join right now. And then some of us are going to gather to start. What would it be like for me to start a formational community? Just to think about starting, no commitment, just to go and explore what that would look like and get some resourcing for that. If you don't know where to go today, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry. I would just encourage you, um, just wander around. You can go different places. You can chat in the hallways. Just see what God is doing in our midst. And, and some of us, I want to encourage you to pray. Actually, we will be setting up chairs in all three of the sessions. They're specifically for people who will be willing to use that 45-minute segment to pray for what Jesus is doing in our midst. So you can do that, and, and it would, it, nothing would be more important uh, on this day. We're people who bring people together to help them find God. That's who we are. And as I've been thinking and praying about this recently, there's been a mental image that keeps coming to my mind, and it's the miracle of Dunkirk. Do do you remember? Maybe you saw the movie about Dunkirk. In 1940, the Germans had the Allies backed against the English Channel in, in France, and they had them backed against almost certain destruction. But across the Channel, the British got into boats, boats of every shape and size, fishing boats, many of them were just river boats, little teeny river boats, pleasure craft, over 800 boats, this flotilla of boats that moved across the channel. Little crews of people, circles of two, three, four, five, six, twenty, got into these boats and as they crossed the channel. They crossed the divide. They moved towards hostility. They risked their lives for the sake of people. And when they got to the other side, they learned that the small groups of boats could get closer to the beaches than the large Navy craft. And so they were critical. These little boats came up to the beach, and one by one, they pulled these soldiers off the beach until they could fill their boats up to the point of they would no longer float. And they shuttled these soldiers back to the large Navy ship. These were little expeditions that went out and grabbed people in their circles and brought them back into this larger community of safety. In eight days, they rescued 338,226 people this way. Circles of people in little boats overcoming divisions. And you know the story. They saved the world. Now it's our turn.
I see circles of people reaching out to students. I see other circles reaching out to musicians. I see circles reaching out to mothers of young children or to computer software coders. Circles of all kinds moving into neighborhoods of every kind right here around us in Seattle. Because Jesus is the one who saves the world. And he's doing it through us. And we're invited to join him. It's what we're called to do. In my case, I think of Skylar. You know the reason that Skylar happened to be in my kitchen with those other guys that day? It was, he was there for breakfast. It's because my wife and I decided to start this teeny little formational community. We, started, we just called it a breakfast club originally. Invited our neighbors to twice a month to eat breakfast with us. Because of that little community that's growing, I've had the opportunity to do yard work with Skylar. I've had the opportunity to volunteer with Skylar in our city. Skylar's invited me to his table to break bread with him in his home. I learned recently that Skylar's best friend just passed away and it's crushed him. And Skylar and I have been able to pray together. Now, I don't know where this is going, but I do know this. Jesus is at work because it's what he's called us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Our Savior Jesus Christ, you've come for us. There's not a person in this room who isn't one lost sheep for whom you gave your life to come and rescue. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the good news that that mission didn't end with us. That we're not the last person that you would love. In fact, in many ways, we're just the first person. There are many others. And you've, you've, you've put us in neighborhoods strategically so that we can join you in that rescue mission for others. And so today, we, we ask that you would commission us, that, that you would breathe on us the breath of heaven, the power of your Holy Spirit, most importantly, the love of God, that we might love our neighbors with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.